You're listening to Coldo D Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Our services are every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. For more information, like us on Facebook or visit our website at coldod.org. 2 Samuel 21. Please turn to 2 Samuel 21. And, <clears throat> Father, we pray, open our eyes to build wonderful things from your word. May your word convict us. May your word transform us, Lord. May your word... Your word is alive and powerful. Quicken us, Lord, by your word. Give us life through your word. It's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the blade and sunder of soul and spirit, the joints and powers, the discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So, Lord, speak through your word by your Ruach, your Holy Spirit, to each one of our hearts. There is much as mine as anyone else's here, we pray. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Okay, ending the famine, ending the famine. So I'm going to talk about this in this chapter. We're going to just cover the first part. Last week we saw how a wise woman was used to save a city. What was her name? His name. We don't know her name. We're going to wait until we meet her in the Hispanic kingdom. It's not her name is invention. This week, this week we learn of another great woman who is used indirectly to end a horrible famine, a terrible famine. Indirectly, she's used. So I wanted to say, this is amazing, isn't it? These women in the Bible. And if I gave a a scripture title, there's a phrase in verse 10, until the water, until the water, the rain here, it poured upon them from the heavens. Got that? Until the water poured upon them from the heavens. Because in a famine, what's lacking? The famine is caused by a lack of rain. So, especially if you know in the Middle East, the amount of uh, heat and the danger of that dependence upon water. It's true worldwide as well, but in biblical times, that's really the key that we're looking at there. So, it's understood that in these last four chapters of 2 Samuel, that we're looking at, we're not going to look at them all now, but these last four chapters were added as an appendix or appendices and are not necessarily in chronological order. Now, David's reign was concluded in chapter 20, we read last week. Chapter 21 contains a narrative about a national calamity that occurred before David's reign and a list of short accounts of some heroic feats. We're not going to look at those. But the first part happened sometime after David had befriended Mephibosheth in chapter 9, verse 1. Again, not in chronological order. So this doesn't really, this episode doesn't really follow chapter 20 that we're reading about here in chapter 21. But David befriended Mephibosheth in chapter 9, verse 1. Remember Mephibosheth? Right? What an amazing man, Wayman uh, in his feet, and how David showed the grace to him. So, let's look at the first verse. Now, there was a famine, here it is, the famine in the days of David, for how many years? Three years, year after year. So, David, what did he do? Well, he, 
he just started going to the next person. He said, this is terrible. This is terrible. What are we going to do? He said he went to one person, went to the next person, first was right and left, right? He went first to the Lord, right? He went to the Lord. David sought the face of Adonai, the face of the Lord. That is critical. He sought the face of Kesh, let's see, yeah, David, Kesh, David, et, and I, Adonai. And this word I'll mention in a minute to, to seek is amazing. But in crisis, in prolonged, unusual hardship, what should we do? Yes, seek the face of God. Should we whine? Like worrying help? Complaining? <laughs> Criticizing? No, we need to seek the face of God. I was going to get this response. Thank you for that. <laughs> we need to seek the face of the Lord, right? Now, the word for famine is Rahav. Let's say Rahav. Okay, Rahav is starvation. In Israel, in modern Hebrew, you say, I need Rahav. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. It's starvation. It's a lack of food. It's famine. And in Amos 8, verses 11 and 12, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. So people will wander from sea to sea and roam from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord. But they will not find it. Amos describes a hunger for a spiritual hunger for the God's word, a lack, a, a dearth, a famine of the word of God. And so when you're hungry physically, and this is what we're reading about here is a physical famine, of course. When you're hungry, what are you thinking about? Yeah, all you can think about is eating, is finding food. You're starving when you're starving. All that you can think about is finding food. So I want to be starving for God. I want to be starving. What am I willing to do? to find him. When I'm starving for God, what am I, I'm really hungry spiritually. What am I willing to do to find him? Well, this word, bakash, let's say bakash, is the word for seeking. David sought the face of God. This word, bakash, the root means, I'm giving you the root, it means to seek the unknown. To seek the unknown. Let's look at Psalm 63, if you will. Psalm 63. Oh God, he says, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. How many have read that psalm at a time in your life when you're hungry for God, when you know you're in a spiritual famine? It says, David, this word of the psalm, he said, of course, psalms are sung. Because you remember us when you sing a song, don't you remember the words? It's always put the word of God to music if you can. And he said when he was in the desert, the wilderness, the desert of Judah, he says, I'm seeking you earnestly, O God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. John, Lord, there's no water here. So I looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power, your glory. Since your loving kindness... Your chesed, I haven't checked it there, but your chesed is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, making a decision to praise God, even though he didn't feel 
his presence and maybe didn't feel any answer. He says, I'm going to thank God, so I'm praising you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I lift up my hands. You know, praise you, thou Jew, by the way, Jew comes from Judah. And it has to do with really lifting up the hands, using the hands. Uh, and it's part of it. You would praise to God if you're a Jew, whether locally Jewish or you're a spiritual Jew, you know, you're, you're lifting up your hand, you're praising the Lord, you're devoted to the Lord. This is, we lift up our hands to God. It's a beautiful exercise and practice of praising God. And he says, My soul is satisfied as with fat and oil, so my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you. It's you that I have been thinking about through the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I encourage you, why don't you read that to the Lord this week? Get alone with the Lord. Get alone in a place where no one is dis- nothing is distracting you, and you're not thinking about anything else but the Lord. And sing, sing that. Read it to the Lord. Sing it. Uh, no one will know if you have a bad voice, if you can't carry a tooth. doesn't matter. Say to the Lord, really, and watch Him help you in that time. We're going to sing that. I'm going to do that this week. Now, Psalm uh, 63 is describing this to seek the face of God. Again, let's say, what's the word for seek? Akash. Say it? Akash. It means to seek the unknown. So when I'm seeking the face of God, it's to look toward Him to get to know him where I don't yet. Where I don't yet know him. Say, I know God. Do you? Do I? We don't know him. Lord Leo is a child who's drawing pictures. They go, your son, your son, my son. The child said, I'm going to draw a picture of God. And the teacher looked at him and said, you know, you, you, you can't. How do you draw a picture? You don't know. We don't know what God looks like. And the child said, well, when I'm finished. <laughs> We don't know God. We don't know all of it. We think we know Him. We don't know Him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. He's going forth as sure, certain as the dawn. He's, he'll come to us as the latter rains. As I think early in latter rains, that we will be in Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. Let us know. Press on to know the Lord. To whom then will you liken God? To what likeness will you compare Him? In Isaiah 40, verse 18. He is the unknown. And the more we seek him, we'll a little more, get a little more glimpse of who he is, a little more. And, but, we, but it's going to take eternity. It won't be until we're there that we see him as he is. Proverbs 3, 6, In all your ways know him, it says. It says, In all the ways your ways know him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, not acknowledge him, but know him. And he will direct your path. The Hebrew word, Yadana, to know him. Paul said, my goal, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings to be made conformable unto his death. In Philippians 3.10, I want to know him. And it's going to mean suffering, and it's going to mean the power of his resurrection out of that suffering that I might be shaped into the likeness of our Messiah who suffered also and was resurrected. My little children, Paul writes later in Galatians, in the Galatians, he says that my little children with whom Messiah, my little children, told my, oh gosh, I forgot it, but it's Messiah be formed in you, Messiah.
have before you in your records in Galatians 4.19. I travail in birth for Messiah before you in your head. So Romans 11, 33 and 34 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how incomprehensible his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, and who has been his counsel? That's what Paul says. So what is what happens when David seeks the Lord? Well, God responds to him. The Lord responds in verse 1 to David's seeking. It says, the Lord replied, as just the Lord said, this is why the famine's going on, David. It's because of Saul and his bloody house. For he put the Gibeonites to death. <clears throat> this was the punishment for something that had occurred by a previous administration, years ago, so to speak. Namely, who's? King Saul's. King Saul's. He had violated an oath or a treaty to the Gibeonites, a remnant of the Amorites, one of the seven Canaanite nations. And they were promised to be spared by Joshua and put to servitude. In Joshua 9.15, we see it recorded. Interesting. But Saul had violated that treaty, that covenant, and he had murdered some of them. He attempted to exterminate them, to annihilate them from the land. So it says here in verses 1 and 5. Now, where is that recorded in Scripture? Guess what? It's not. Search as you will. Look for it. You won't find where it happened. So what does the Talmud say? What did the rabbi, what did the, what did the Jewish uh, commentaries think about this? What did the rabbis think? Well, possibly, very, they think when, when he massacred, Saul massacred the Kohanim, the priests of Nob, in 1 Samuel 22, 18, they supported the Gibeonites in their servitude. They were dependent upon them. And so in killing the priests, he killed us. But we don't know that Scripture doesn't say. And Saul's sons likely did it because it says the house of Saul here. So they probably carried it out. But it happened because the Scripture says it here. But we don't know exactly what occasion it was. So when we seek the Lord, let's get a principle here. When we seek the Lord for answers in our dilemma, in our impasse, three years of famine, when we do, he will reveal, as we seek him, he will reveal the reason. And then it's up to us to act to address it. All right? Got it? I like this, this way. I'm guessing what I've done to it. And, uh, like the old Danny Kaye thing, I said, they get it. You say, got it. You say, got it. Good. Let's try that. Get it. Good. Now go back to me. Got it. <laughs> it's an old Danny Kaye movie. I just love it. <laughs> the court jester. The court jester. I haven't seen that. You're missing it. All right. Um, so when we seek the Lord, he will show us if we're seeking he will show us what's going on, reveal to us what the reason is for the crisis, and then it's up to us to act to address it. Now, David seeks to make reparations in verses 2 through 4 of this chapter, to make amends, to make atonement for Saul's sin to his people, to the Gibeonites, so that God would end the famine. Interesting verse, Numbers 35-33, I'll just read it to you. He says, You are not to pollute the land which you are, in which you are. Blood pollutes the land. 
and no atonement can be made for the land polluted by the bloodshed except by the blood of the one who sheds it. So he's going to make amends for the atonement for this, reparations, if you will. And the Gibeonites terms, they asked ask for lives to be given, these lives, sons of Saul, to be given in exchange for the lives that they lost. Gibeonites, those are the terms, and they're met by David in verses 5 through 9. 5 through 9. And so, seven sons of Saul are given over to them. Verse 9, it says, they were put to death, they were hanged, during the days of harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest, which would have been just after Passover. So, verses 10 through 14 are what we want to look at in the rest of this time now. David is inspired by a noble act, these guys are hanged, by a noble act of a woman named Elizabeth. See, her name is verse 10. It's also named, she's mentioned actually first in verse 8. Because two of these sons, of these seven sons of Saul, were hers. hers. Rizpah, Rizpah, daughter of Aya, took sackcloth, verse 10, and spread it on the rock for herself from the beginning of the harvest, of harvest until the rain poured on them. It's the mighty, the water, but it's rain. On them from the sky, the TLB says it's from Hashemai, from the heavens. She did this. She did not let the birds of the sky rest on them, birds of the heavens rest on them, by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. Verse 10. David was told what Rizpah, daughter of Ayah, the concubine of Saul, had done. She's the concubine of Saul. So David had been. So David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jabesh Gilead, who had stolen them from the open square, etc., etc. And uh, he, in verse 13, he had the bones of Saul and the bones of his son, his son Jonathan brought up from there, and he gathered the bones of those who were hanged. So they buried the bones, verse 14. And his, uh, of Saul and of Jonathan in the country of Benjamin in Zela, in the tomb of his father Kish. They did all of, all of what the king commanded. Afterward, notice the end of verse 14, afterward, God was moved. And it says here, by prayer for the land. But guess what? Prayer is a Hindu in Hebrew. It just says, really, afterward, God was moved for the land. I don't know why they had sometimes it's sort of added a book because they did because the, the translator is saying, well this has to be there to explain it, but it's not in the original. So sometimes it can misexplain it or overexplain it. Anyway, this is what they did. So David's inspired by this noble act of Rizpah, Saul's concubine. She's mentioned three verse seven the first time I believe. Her dedication and sacrifice, her self-sacrifice in guarding these decaying, smelly corpses of Saul's sons, two of which were hers, all during these hot summer days, these hot summer days and nights, from the birds of prey, from the beasts, until the October rains. That's when the rains come in Israel. The October rains come. In other words, about six months she's doing this. And this convicts David, her honor of the her dedication. And so he retrieves these stolen bones.
sons of Saul and Jonathan, but Saul, along with the Saul's sons, recently hanged, and he buries them with honor in their rightful place, the tomb of his father, Kish. And this moves God. Afterward, God is moved, the Hebrew word atar, let's say atar, that's the word, but you can explain it. He's moved for the land, the atar, the, the atar, alim, the aretz, afterwards. This word atar means to entreat, to press strongly to a goal. The idea even there is a pitchfork comes from their prayer, the pitchfork, as you use a pitchfork to turn over the hay, it turns God's anger into compassion, it turns the situation. And so the famine was ended by God and the rains returned. Just as God used the wise woman to save the city from bloodshed in the last chapter, verse 21, just as God used the pagan prostitute Rahab to rescue the two Hebrew spies in Joshua chapter 2, as he used Yael, who had a great hand-eye coordination with a hammer and a tent peg in Judges chapter 4, that's a little bit of a joke. <laughs> she nailed his head to the, to the ground. So here he uses Rizpah, Saul's concubine, to convict and move David to give a proper burial to the bodies and bring an end to the famine. All right? No matter what your background or past or status or what people might think of you, God can use you. God can use you. Your willingness, my willingness, to be the only one who does the right thing, the noble deed, to sacrifice your and my life and time and comfort, despite what others do, that can be what will be recorded in the annals of God's history book. In other words, I like to think that Hebrews 11 it's still being written. Remember Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, heroes of heroines, if you want to say it that way, that all these, it's still being written. It's, it's, it's not really complete, right? Because history is still ongoing before we enter the Lord's kingdom. And so, amazing. Your life can inspire others. You can be the used to end the famine. And to watch God bring the rain, the Geshem, the, the mighty. Are we under the under judgment now as a nation, as a world? Is the COVID pandemic God's judgment? Judgment maybe for how we mistreated the immigrant or other people less fortunate than us? breaking promises to and oppressing other people groups or nationalities, for allowing human trafficking and child trafficking? Is it? Why judgment now? If it is, why judgment now? I don't know. We don't choose the time for God to bring judgment. He waited many years before judging Sodom or Nineveh or Egypt or Babylon or Rome. 
amazing thing is, it can be reversed. It can be reversed. If we, like what I saw, rise to the occasion to sacrifice for others. If we will seek the face of God like David, if we will follow the prescription of 2 Chronicles 7.14, a verse, if you're a son and daughter of God, you probably know, but let's, again, we don't know it, because we need to hear it fresh by the Ruach HaKadosh, this prescription. If my people, when my people, over whom my name is called, if they will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's a prescription. That's a promise. It's an offer that God makes. Man's part, count seven, perfect number. Man's part, one through four. Pray, seek, turn. God's part, God will do his part. Hear, forgive, and heal. The plague can end. The plague can end. And always remember that as God's children, we're not under wrath, but we're under mercy. Habakkuk 3 2, 1 Thessalonians 5 9. God has not pointed us to wrath, but to obtain mercy. Give me a son. We have a Father who loves us, and the suffering through which we pass has the purpose not to harm us, but to purify us and prepare us for the next life from heaven by making us more like Yeshua. Dr. Eretz Soref, I think he's the president, the head of one for Israel, the great messianic ministry out of Israel, my wife watches. There's often very, very great student. He said this, he wrote this, just in his recent article. The three weeks between the dates of the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av, Kishabam, the 9th of Av, which falls on July 30th this year, in the Jewish calendar are known as Bin Hamatzim which means between the straits, or in dire straits, from Lamentations 1, 3. According to Jewish tradition, the walls of Jerusalem were breached by the Babylonians on the 17th of Tammuz. And the temple was destroyed three weeks later on the 9th of Av. Many other calamities, and I'm just taking a little excerpt from the article, which is all amazing. Many other calamities have happened to the Jewish people during these dates throughout history, and it's a season of mourning for our people. The phrase between the straits means to be forced to thread your way between grave dangers on both sides, like a ship trying to squeeze through a perilously narrow path and trying to avoid the most inevitable shipwreck. Times are very difficult for many people who have lost so much health, livelihood, and even loved ones. I have to say that to us, this day is six months for our son, 
Jewish or Gentile, whatever background you're from, young or old, write us and let us know, and we can correspond with you and help you. Remember, you can be used by God. Whoever's watching this today, you, doesn't matter. Look at these people. God has used. God can use you. Don't say not me. Don't say I can't. You don't know my past. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what happened. doesn't matter. God looks at your heart. And if you want to serve him, if you want to, if you'll be available to him, he will use you. He will put us through difficult times. It won't be easy, but it will be glorious. It will be rich, and it's so well worth it. God bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his shalom. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the ruler of peace. Amen. Amen.